Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Oh, you're not suggesting that you publish the matriarchy, are you? <laughs> no, God, no. I mean, not in its current okay. form. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's good, it's just you got a challenge and the tone, it comes across as shouty. When I'm reading it, I feel like a teacher's yelling at me. Well, who cares how it makes you feel? It's supposed to make people think. You gotta hide the medicine. It's like when you give a pill to a dog, you dip it in peanut butter first. So my question is, what's our peanut butter? I'm sorry, are you waiting? It's nude me? men. <laughs> you say nude men? They're not like a right in the face, you know? Classy, with your modern, you know, lady point of view. Are you mentally ill? You're the one who came up with the idea. Yeah, that was a conversational bomb moat. Do you even understand what it is I'm trying to do here? Of course I do. Feminism, making fair and equal for the chicks. So tell me this, how is it fair and equal that a guy has 12 places to go to see a pair of tits, but a gal has no place to go to see a dog? That's Minks. New episodes every Thursday on Paramount+. Plus. James Dempsey joins us once again. Afternoon, James. Afternoon, Sean. So this is set in the 1970s, is it? Yeah, it's set in 1971, I think. And it's basically, as we heard in the clip there, we have Joyce Prigger, I think named Prigger because she's a fairly priggish character, <laughs> uh, played by the British actress Ophelia Lovabond. And she uh, wants to launch her feminist manifesto magazine, the, Fe- the Matriarchy Awakens, but finds publishers are not as keen on feminism as... Uh, or first wave feminism or whatever wave feminism second wave maybe yeah. anyway uh, whatever it is are not as keen as she is and the only uh, publisher in town who's kind of willing to give her a go is a porn producer uh, of, of rock bottom <laughs> uh, rock bottom <laughs> okay. publications and he is played by uh, late of new girl uh, Jake Johnson uh, who actually originally when they designed this show um, was only going to be like a very minor character and it's very fortunate in my opinion that they sort of upgraded his part because he and her he and she have this really excellent chemistry and I have to admit I I, I went in with just reasonable expectations I'd seen the trailer for this um, I thought the trailer was funny uh, it is a it's a HBO Max show right and the weird thing about HBO Max is uh, where do they end up? <laughs> you know, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they could literally end up on any streamer of any kind on this side of the Atlantic. And I think it's a shame that this one is on Paramount Plus because I don't think, I'm not sure how many people have Paramount Plus. but uh, Or even know how to find it or, on their Sky if they have Sky. Indeed, even, yeah. right? But if you if you do, it is well worth seeking out because across the board, across the four episodes that have been released, I think of 10 it, I, I found it really, really funny and incredibly warm and witty and silly and irreverent. The cast are just completely game, right? So in addition to Joyce and and Doug Renetti, the, the publisher, uh, you have sort of his motley crew of, um, <laughs> I guess... Um, Porn adjacent performers <laughs> uh, who who uh, f- like who take on roles in the magazine in a cost cutting measure. Uh, you have a, a, an actor who I was ne- I had never heard of before. Uh, he's in the Kissing Booth, which if you have like a teen daughter, she may have seen. His name is Taylor Zachary Perez. Uh, you see an awful lot of him. Yes, <laughs> is okay. what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but he he plays this himbo Shane Brody, who is the cover model of the very first edition of Minx magazine. And he has an episode where, uh, you know, he and, and, and Joyce have this flirtation going on. And he brings such this like lightness of touch 
to this absolute idiot character that he, you know, he and he has some like the best lines in the whole episode and walks away with this brilliant ending, joke ending of the episode. Basically, all in all, I just found myself utterly charmed by it. It's incredibly stylish in how it's put together. The production, I mean, I wasn't around in the 70s, so I don't know whether this is really what the 70s look like, right? Mm. But um, it's a really nice 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. The only thing about when they show it, like, everybody stank of cigarettes, because yeah, you don't sure. get that on screen, obviously. <laughs> no, you don't get that, right? Um, it's it's pr- pretty much, it might be the only vice that they don't get into in this show. Uh, I, I will say, like, you know, if you were to read the kind of episode summaries of this, it hits some very obvious, uh, like, plot points, right? Mm. So, like, there's an episode where uh, they need to get an advertiser and Joyce goes to her old country club and um, meets a guy and is trying to charm him and does he have a heart of gold? You bet he doesn't, kind of thing, right? Or they uh, run afoul of a a very conservative uh, female politician who is trying to shut down the industry and so on and so forth. But every, even though these are kind of things you might expect of a of a seventies set show that is pushing the boundaries with regard to pornography, quote unquote, um, just the jokes are really funny and they land all the time, and you're never far from another one that comes along. Even Joyce herself, right? Joyce Prigger is the character. She's this, you know, feminist uh, with an with. I mean, agenda isn't the right word, but like she wants to launch her magazine. She's uncompromising in the decisions she has to make. And a lot that's where kind of any of the episode drama comes, her trying to compromise rather than concede, let's say, her ideals. But uh, she's not she's not like this uptight stick in the mud either, right? Mm. You know, she's not this completely dull, one note, uh, I'm a feminist, ah, burning her bra, right? She's right. she's she has fun, she makes jokes. She has, you know, I'm I'm reluctant to use the word banter, but she has like there's there is just great back and forth between her and Jake Johnson in their scenes where they're sparring with each other. And I guess the point is as much about them learning about feminism in the industry as much as it is about her learning to sort of you know, uh, have have more fun. <laughs> that's well. That's the interesting. I suppose the only aspect because I'm there, I can't remember the name of the series, but the one that was about uh, Ms. Magazine and Gloria Steinem and all yeah, those people. Yeah. That was uh, Miss America, which, which was very, very, very yeah. good. And so you're dealing with that era, and it was a it, it was a very fraught time, and they were the, you know, and they were the women who stood up when you know it was it, it far more perilous perhaps then to be a feminist than, than In, it agree, is now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but so I suppose she has things to teach him. What does the porn industry have to teach her? Is it, so in, in a narrative sense, it's a delicate one. It remember. is, yeah. yeah. I mean, so what I will say is uh, Doug Renetti, who is this, you know, the, the, the publisher, he is, <laughs> he's the porn producer with a heart of gold. Yeah. Like, you know, put it that way, right? He's not sleazy. He's, uh, he's everything, everything, every glass is half full and like every, uh, every model that he deals with, although he's some, he's like a little, he's sort of just chauvinistic enough, if you get me right. Yeah. Like he's yeah. not, he's not, uh, he's not mean spirited. He doesn't abuse his employees. He doesn't take advantage of anyone. But at the end of the day, he's a businessman. And, and as we heard there in the clip, his primary interest in getting the magazine off the ground is not feminism. It's that women are an untapped market in this industry, yeah. at okay. least in 1971 <laughs> anyway. So he's the businessman and it's about business for him. 
But like, of course, this is a show written in 2022. It's written by the writer of Clifford the Big Red Dog, the movie. Okay. <laughs> so it's quite Pedigree. a... Yeah. yeah. Quite, a, <laughs> you know, quite a left turn <laughs> from that to this. Um, but but uh, honestly, charming. Just across the board, I found it really, really, really likeable. But absolutely, if you happen to be like... Uh, don't watch this with your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because okay. there is a lot of nudity on display Woo-hoo. in every episode. Uh, Right, uh, we'll go to our uh, next show. I assume there, or I'm guessing there's not a lot of nudity in this one. <laughs> it's Takeaway Titans, Thursday nights, 9.35 on RT2. Here's a clip. Summer Inn from Dublin's bestseller is the Rappo. Chicken, rice and curry sauce, all wrapped inside pastry and deep fried. Uh, you even can't sleep last night. Keep on thinking anything left over or what I need, need to do. Is this the Rappo? It is the Your favourite, Susie. Okay, bottoms up, Susie. Mm. Mm. Good reaction, bad reaction. Oh my God. Did you get chicken? I got all rice in the first bit. I got chicken. And they're giving us more curry sauce to dip it in. I think there's enough in there. I don't think you need any more. But I actually think, in principle, right. I know you're frowning now, okay? But like, just, hear me out, okay. hear me out. Go on. People like convenience. They love a chicken curry. It has potential. Okay, okay, okay. It's enough for me, Susie. Right, so it's takeaways competing with each other. Yeah, and what I kind of find odd about this is there's a there's an RT player native show called like Ireland's Best, uh, like... Not Ireland's best take, not Ireland's best takeaway or food truck. Ireland's best food truck, I think right, it was. Okay. That had James Patrice as the host, which maybe served as a kind of proof of concept for this, you know, more bulked up show. But on the whole, although I think this format could work better, all in all, I found it just a little lacking in drama. Right. Okay. So basically, every week for five weeks, and then leading into a, a finale episode in the sixth, uh, three different takeaway restaurants that are in the same sort of cuisine umbrella. So okay. the first week was either chicken and burgers, although I wouldn't really say they're the same umbrella, but whatever, right? Mm. Second week was fish and chips. Uh, last week was, I guess, East Asian uh, food. I think this week is South Asian food. They uh, Three restaurants come in and they take part in three challenges. Uh, the first is cook your signature dish, the one that makes your restaurant a success. The second one is a judge's challenge that they don't know what it's going to be. And the third is uh, cook your fantasy takeaway. And, you know, if you're seeing some sort of echo to the Bake Off challenges there, yeah. uh, well, look, that format worked, so why not yeah. rob it a little bit, right? Uh, except that's kind of a problem as well, right? In the Bake Off, when they do that, you know, signature technical showcase, is a showstopper, sorry. Yeah. Um, there's a variety, right? There is still a variety, whereas here especially in the opening episode which was the weakest of all of them and if i was ch- if i was putting out them out in order i wouldn't have put that one out first uh, like it was just burgers do you know what i mean like it was three burgers yeah. and here's the thing about um, you know fast food it's the same right <laughs> that's the whole point of it right so i found it incredibly samey mm. less so in the other episodes the first one uh, really bland right then the other my other issue with it is kind of like the judging so 
Susie, uh, Susie Lee, sorry, and Dylan McGrath. They're our judges. Dylan McGrath, pretty, I think he cut his teeth on MasterChef Ireland when that was yeah, on, right? Yeah, so and, he is, um, yeah. he's well able to do this. I wasn't that familiar with Susie Lee. She won uh, Britain's Best Home Cook and grew up in a Chinese takeaway herself. So she knows this area, okay. right? They sit in a separate green room and they watch all that's going on, you know, on a screen. And then I guess because the gimmick is it's the takeaway, when it comes to the tasting, the two hosts being James Cavanagh and Carl Mullen, take the food away from the participants and bring it to that room where they then try it out of sight of the participants, you know, of the of the competitors. Yeah. Which really is kind of lacking in drama because, you know... You don't see the competitors going, oh my God, he hates my or, chips. Yeah, like yeah. there's no, you know, Hollywood handshake, right? Yeah. There's no there's no interaction between them. Now, whether or not the participants ever actually get to see <laughs> how they're being judged, I, I have no idea because they don't really reference that in the episode. And then it gets even slightly more bizarre. It's like a good takeaway. You always add an extra thing that you don't need <laughs> into the bag, right? So at, in the third and final challenge... They bring, they bring in a guest judge. And like so far, the guests have been uh, Rory O'Connor of Rory Stories, Deirdre O'Kane of comedy, and Norma Sheehan of acting, right? right. And they come in, <laughs> but like I don't really understand the mechanics of this, right? So they're coming in just for this final challenge. Does their judging have any weight in this at all? Or is it just to sort of liven up material? And really, it, you know, like it, it makes absolutely no sense to me that they bring these people in who are not foodies who are just there to create humor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But like in theory, your hosts should be there to create humor, right? But there, and there are two hosts already. Yeah, right? James so Gavin and Carl Mullen. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know if they have worked professionally with each other uh, before. I actually don't think they get enough screen time is the problem. They're they're very sparingly used throughout. And actually, spare is kind of how I would describe the whole show because it's shot in the EXO building, that uh, you know, the building with the blue kind of... Um, Beams the tall building beside the the three arena, right? right. Okay. And oh yeah, I think another one. And, I mean, and yeah. I think on post are actually moving in there as the anchor client, right? But basically, it's in this big, vast, open office space. And uh, <laughs> you know, when I was watching it, I was going, "Oh, maybe it's like for COVID reasons, right?" There, like, because <laughs> like because like at times it's almost as if the the hosts are like shouting mm. <laughs> across this vast space about what the challenge is. Like, you have ten minutes left to cook your spring roll or whatever, right? But but then at the end, they all get together and they all hug it out with the winner. Okay. So it's all not right. for it's COVID. It's just a stylistic thing, presumably. <laughs> yeah. Now the the uh, the three competing takeaways are they all from? The same are they from different parts of the country? Yeah, they're from all over. We'll say the island of Ireland, uh, but but they are in the same food family, right? Yes, yeah. But, but the, do they have to cook their, their their respective whatever challenges they're given there in the in the X building? There? They do in the EXO building. Yes, they've Doesn't set that up. Make a nonsense of the whole takeaway because you would have thought <laughs> to a degree it's where they cook this food, and, and that's the other thing about it, right? The like as far as I can tell, the only thing you will win if you win this is a really naff-looking trophy that they show right at the very beginning and I guess the glory of being able to claim on social media and in some sort of branding on your shop Ireland's takeaway titan, right? Right. But um, it's a real, like, like for example, Dylan McGrath is this, uh, they, they go to great lengths to say he's a Michelin-starred chef. Yeah. And he is incredibly critical of the food 
And like, fair enough, you need a judge to be mean, right? Mm. Like, that's the whole shtick of this kind of judging. But it also seems to me, even though they say he loves a takeaway, I actually don't think he does love a takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> because like, for you know, in that clip there, we heard him uh, having a go. And it's also another thing they have, you know, misophonia, which is people when they hear like lip smacking. It is yeah. the worst show for that I have ever encountered. And I don't even have misophonia. But... Um, but in that clip, we heard him biting into this innovation, which was like a three in one wrapped, you know, wrapped in a like a, a spring roll wrap and deep fried. Mm. Right. And he hated it. But I could imagine that if I saw that on the menu and I thought that that was in the mood for like, I know exactly what it's going to deliver before I bite into it. Right. It's yeah. a three in one wrapped in a, in a spring roll casing. And I bet if it's what you wanted, it's what you'd love. But he like he's a Michelin star chef. And that is a food beneath his yeah, palate. Yeah, his palate, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, well, you, 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 does anybody ask him, you know? Well, they say that in the opening credits, right? Yeah. They say, they say you know, he loves, like missions are, he loves going out and having, having like a takeaway. But uh, I'm yet to be convinced that he really does. Yeah. <laughs> okay, show number three, uh, odd choice. Uh, <laughs> you can stream all 141 episodes now on Disney+. Plus. Here's Bluey. I don't ever want to leave this couch. Where are the kids? They're on the phone to Muffin. Oh, happy New Year's. Phew, I do not have the energy for games today. This way, Catherine. Oh, man. This will be the most amazing trip you've ever been on. Or I get my money back. On you get. What's oh, your step? Hey, ow. What's going on? Oh, yeah, Dad. Can you be our boat? Oh, can't your mum do it? Hey. You're already on the floor. Sorry, I haven't got it in me today. Are you sick? Uh, no, just, um... Uh... Sleepy. Yeah, sleepy. We went to bed a bit late last night. Because you went to the New Year's party at Muffins. She saw you dancing on her barbecue table. What? Why wasn't she asleep? She woke up when Uncle Stripe yelled, Cannonball! and jumped into the pool. Ha! Classic Stripe. Right, so Bluey, uh, the, the, it's uh, I. I don't know if you have many four-year-olds uh, living in your house, James. This is, uh, so I will say this was a recommendation to me and yeah. I'm always happy to take recommendations because, you know, it can be hard to find three shows to talk about every single week. And I don't have uh, children of my own. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to admit there were times when I was watching this when I was running on a treadmill at the gym and I'd say anyone who could see my screen was like, what is that weird I'm doing, <laughs> right? But basically... It's incredibly charming. So Bluey, I would say, if you were if you were walking past it, you would immediately dismiss it as like a Peppa Pig style yeah. cartoon for kids. And it is an awful lot more than that. So it's an Australian show. It's made every single episode, all 141. And apparently each one takes four to five months to make, even though they're only about seven minutes Crikey. long. Uh, they're all written and directed by this man named Joe Brum. And I will also shout out uh, the uh, Joff Bush, who creates a new score for every single episode as well. And it is about the Healer family, who are, uh, Healers are also another names for Australian cattle dogs. So we have Bandit the Father, Chile, the mother. They're both. Bandit is an archaeologist. Chile is a. Uh, she works in airport security because these are jobs that dogs do. They dig mm-hmm. up bones and they sniff you out in the airport. And then we have the titular Bluey and her sister Bingo. And it's all about in these seven-minute little short episodes about. Uh, childhood but I would say also about parenting so the main focus really seems to be play right this whole idea of Bluey and Bingo playing and learning various life lessons along the way with their friends 
but it is equally about the parents uh, like coming to terms with parenting as a reality so like for example we heard in that clip there which is from uh, series 3 episode 22 which I can't remember anyway <laughs> uh, called Whale Watching which later features a cameo from Natalie Portman who uh, narrates the nail whale watching they have uh, parents Chili and Bandit have uh, spent the night before at a New Year's Eve party and are completely and utterly hung over and are lying on the floor and they don't want to play <laughs> but it is about trying to you know trying to navigate I guess what it is to be being, being a parent and being hung over which are two things that can happen at once yes right? indeed <laughs> right so there are throughout the episodes there are clearly you know the writer sorry Joe Brom has said he clearly writes this as much for parents as he does for children mm. and the lessons throughout that are you know they're all about cooperation and you know fairness and taking your turn and learning but also they're about parents listening to their children and the the show has been really praised especially for its depiction of bandit as this incredibly present father figure in the show but it has also been criticised uh, for kind of throwing Chili, the mother, a little bit under the bus at times because she doesn't get as much of the juicy storylines. It's really stylish. Like the, yeah. the, the animation style is just very, very visually appealing. And it's littered with all of these really funny, like uh, throwback jokes. Like anytime something silly happens to the family, their neighbour, Wendy, <laughs> always <laughs> appears to catch them at moments of just doing really stupid things. Or like um, the Australian $5 bill, I think, has... I still, I guess, has a, a you know a, a portrait of Queen Elizabeth on it, and it has in this show it has like a portrait of a corgi on it, and it has all of these side gags mm. and references to things that make it really enjoyable. Now, look, I'm not saying I'm going to sit down and watch every single 141 episodes of this, right? I may not watch another one because I've done my homework for the slot here. But I really enjoyed my homework, and I can imagine if you are a parent and you have Disney Plus. And you were walking past it. I'm. Sh- I guarantee some joke will like catch yeah. you and get you to sit down and watch the rest of it. Yeah, during the summer when I was on holidays, uh, uh, we were on holidays with people, and they have like a three-year-old, uh, and uh, they have. <laughs> <laughs> well, to stop the three-year-old like going out in the sun or you know chucking herself in the pool, that they you know they eventually found Bluey, and then Bluey was on pretty much all the time yeah. for about two or three days, and every now and again she'd stop and have a stare at it. We only noticed after two or three days it was all in Spanish, but it didn't matter to the three-year-old; <laughs> she was still absolutely captivated by it. So that's its power. Uh, right, the three shows are Minx new episodes every Thursday on Paramount Plus, Takeaway Titans uh, Thursday nights at nine thirty-five on RTE Two, and Bluey all one hundred and four. 41 episodes on Disney Plus. James Dempsey, thanks a million. Thank you. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.